Welcome everyone to the podcast. Hope you all are having a good day and a good week so far. This is episode number two, where now we have a little bit more structure. Um, <laughs> so it's um, it's been a weird week in the news. It's been a and, hell of a uh, week. Yeah, it's things are just getting a little bit too crazy. Um, but how are you doing? I, by the way, I am David. In case you all forgot, this is Huntley with me. I'm uh, I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing. All- As I said, it's been a hell of a week. Uh, each week, I'm just like, oh, well, surely next week will you know something will mellow out, or maybe we'll get some fucking positive news. But then it just it just gets worse. Yep, it just gets Keep worse. Spiraling downwards. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a fucking fucking death spiral we're just going into a black hole into some kind of awful timeline oblivion bullshit that i don't quite understand but uh, whatever yeah it's um it's like the meme like this is the worst episode of black mirror ever (laughs) (laughs) i mean but at least some black mirror episodes some hope like there are a Mm -hmm. couple episodes i'm just like i walk away going I feel a little bit better about the world. Now, majority of them, I don't, but like, yeah. this is just like, this is just, I did I don't know. I just don't know how to describe it. It's just like, we've had in between COVID um, and the, the continued tanking of like the economy of like workers, record high unemployment while stock markets are strangely staying steady or if not rising on some days, which, <laughs> you know, what do you say about that? Um, what's mm-hmm. really been disheartening this week is just the recent shootings of Breonna Taylor and Ahmad Arbery. And... Uh, the Brianna Taylor one just came up the last couple of days, and it's uh, it's kind of tragic, and just shows just like how reckless police officers truly are. Um, I don't know. I mean, you were just talking about this a few moments ago, but if you didn't know. In March, which we're just now curiously finding out about, a Kentucky EMT named Breonna Taylor was shot and killed in Louisville uh, when Kentucky police officers, well, Louisville police officers, breached her home with a battering ram and in the middle of the night and when her partner, boyfriend at the time, shot an officer, injuring him in the leg they decided to unload 25 rounds into an apartment, mind you, and hit a sleeping EMT eight times. And it's just like, what the hell? What the hell? Um, They even tried to call 911 because they thought their home was being broken into, and the officers were not in uniform and did not identify themselves. Which usually, like, even like that's the first thing you would do if you're a police officer and you're breaching a home. You would be, you would just say, 
police. And apparently that did not happen. They just barged into their home, took a, the boyfriend shot one of them, and then they just unloaded. And like, I, like David, you've lived in an apartment. I've lived in an apartment. Imagine 25 rounds just going wild in such a tight space. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, this is one of the basic things you learn about gun safety. Like when you're researching like firearms, like hopefully if you're a responsible gun owner, you actually figure out how to use it safely. And even in like a house, like traditionally built house, maybe there's brick walls or whatever. You still don't fire a gun indiscriminately because it can still go through the walls and go across the street and maybe through someone else's walls and hit someone. And that's in a house. And apartment buildings are obviously not as well constructed as houses. So 25 rounds just like it, it breaking into someone's apartment house, um, not identifying themselves, no body cams, no off uh, uniforms, and they just go shooting for... They could have picked... Number one, there's so many things wrong about this. They could have picked a better time of day to do this. They didn't have to use a battering ram to break down the door. Um, they could have actually said something. Um, and you don't see this kind of um, force and attitude and activity used against, um, you know, non-minorities, right? The, no, 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 you don't. You know? I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things. It's just like, you, it does not happen. Like, very rare. This is a continuing problem that we're facing in our country. And, like, I know people are just like, well, it happens to white people. To, no, no, not in the that it does. It, in very rare instances does it happen. And it's just like that's just an argument that people use just to try to cover up the, the systemic racism. I butchered that, but like the racism of our country, because it's it's basically just saying, oh, it happens to everybody, and so that it's not a color thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a racism thing. It it is, and it, it, they knew that they were probably going into an African American couple's house, and then you know, it's it unfortunately happened in the South, and that's probably there's. Some stereotypes there. I say that as a southerner myself, but it's it doesn't happen to white people. It just doesn't. You, you, they don't barge into a house and shoot twenty five fucking rounds in a small yeah. space. They just don't do it. It doesn't happen ever. Um, yeah. It's um, <laughs> and this is like you know it is racism. It's but it's institutional racism. Um, it's you know while not all police officers are racist. The institution of the police department is it mm -hmm. very often acts on racist uh, racial prejudices, and is you know we can actually do a whole episode on this um, mm -hmm. in itself. But this is just and there's been like a series of shootings um, over the past week. This is the most recent uh, that has been 
<clears throat> really catching the airwaves. Um, I guess before we go into like we, we touch on some of the other shootings, um, just go over what we're going to be doing today or tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Um, so first, we're going to do you know a couple of hot news items. Um, the shootings are one of them. We'll get into the other ones in a second. And then we're going to cover a little bit about how COVID is affecting the White House. And uh, so that's going to be like the first little segment of the show is going to be, you know, hit news items, spend a couple minutes on that. And then the next section, we'll go into a conspiracy every week. And um, maybe it's modern, maybe it's, you know, something that's been around for a little bit, and we'll kind of spend a little bit debunking that. Um, cause it's important to combat misinformation whenever possible. And, um, unfortunately we have way too many conspiracy theorists running around oh, trying to think we that, are, uh, we have so many conspiracy out there now. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. And, um, for this week, we will be covering the pandemic documentary, which is a little bit hilarious and ridiculous and terrifying and terrifying. And then after that, we're going to go into Ayn Rand, the, <laughs> uh, the golden child of Republican and conservative and libertarian thought as of the yeah. last couple of decades. Um, yeah. They have just revived her work from the grave out of nowhere. And it's become a huge influence among just conservatives all across the spectrum. Um, every, every time we think we're rid of her, she just comes back. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're just, she's a ghost. I swear, if this is not proof that ghosts are real, then I don't know what is. <laughs> all right, well, so. Yeah, so far. Oh, go for it. Oh, uh, well, so that's what we have in store for you. Um, for those who are listening, and uh, let's, I say, let's get started on what, what was the big news uh, before we found out the, about Breonna Taylor recently, yeah. very recently. Um, did you ever get a chance to watch the video of Ahmad Arbery? Like, did you watch the video of the two? Yeah, driving down. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Um, There's only like a 30-second clip or something, but that's yeah, the, what I, I mean, saw. It's it's just... Uh, like, the fact that that video, that this happened in February, and that video is just now coming out, and that it was a friend of the shooters that released that video, thinking it would help their case oh that's where it came from it was yeah it was from a friend oh, okay. yeah it was from a friend that thought you know like uh, it was an attorney that released that video thinking that it would help clear them that they were just chasing down some african-american who was going for a jog and shooting him i don't know where that logic comes from but hey but you know, that, yeah, it uh, I'm sure it made sense to them at some point, and that's all that mattered to them. But hey, at least we got the video out, and this became investigated, yeah. And, um, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. So today, well, recently, the GBI is starting to investigate, and they're investigating how the district attorneys in the town handled the case before recusing themselves. And, like, how, like, if we're seeing this video now, or a week ago, that means these district, district attorneys have had the video probably since February. Like, how is that not just a complete mishandling trying to bury race, uh, bury, a hate crime? Like, that's what it feels like to me, is these attorneys in Brunswick and Waycross, Georgia, were trying to bury a hate crime. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like the video. And it wouldn't be the first time that's happened either. Oh God, no, God, no! Especially, especially in, once again in the South, it would not be the happens. But l- luckily, that video did see the light of day to make people aware of this hate crime of a person being chased down while they are jogging, while the, while they are exercising. And being shot in cold blood. In the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. With a shotgun, too. Twice. <laughs> Twice, yeah. And the fact that there are people still defending these gentlemen, still defending these gentlemen, it's just, it's just shocking. It's just shocking to me that people can see that and not go those two guys just murdered a black guy jogging in the middle of the day in the street in cold blood and it's just like you there's little more things that come out such as uh arbery walking into a construction site like a house being built and He's caught on camera and he's just looking. He's just just looking around. And you have conservative people on social media going, well, look at this. This is proof that he was up to no good. How? Yeah. I'm just like, how? It's just like, even if he did anything besides stare, even if he just knocked down something in the construction site, that's no reason to be murdered in the street. It's just not. No, it's not. And this is, this is like one of the, again, this is a whole other topic in itself, but there's this like fantasy among these hardcore, like conservatives who just kind of fantasize about the end of the world and vigilante justice Mm -hmm. and them being the ones to enact that justice for Mm -hmm. whatever reasons why. And this is just a a wish fulfillment story for them, and so mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, it, you know, this is like their modern day superhero comic book stories. Yeah, they, they've been sick. sitting, they've been sitting on their hands for the term diary. What they've been doing is they've been stockpiling guns and just being like, the Turner Diaries is going to come to life, and I'm going to be there, and we are going to save the white race by killing anybody that's not white 
Mm-hmm. And it's just like the, this. They've been around for years. Like they were quiet. And they just they became really loud when Trump took office. I mean, they've always been around, but I've said it. It's just like there's always been that closet racist that, you know, I've encountered in my life. And now that Trump, when Trump won the presidency, they started becoming a little louder. And I just don't know, like, they can't go, they can't go hiding again. We can't ignore that the Richard Spencers of the, uh, the Richard Spencers of the world are just going to disappear one day. They're, they're not, they're always going to be here. And it's like, all we can do is combat them and make sure that they do not do horrible things. Like right. Happen and today. calling, calling them out whenever we see them, when calling yeah, out calling fascism, out. wherever you see it's effective. Like, yeah. Richard Spencer, in particular, has basically been bullied out of the public light and even yes, out of has. activism. He yeah. has straight up said that he f- no longer feels comfortable um, doing anything good. because of all good. the attention that he's gotten. It, it is good. It's a really good thing. Yeah. And that's just, we have to keep, as a society, we just have to keep vigilant and watch. And this isn't some fucking 1984 shit. I know some conservative who might listen to this and be like, oh, you're looking for people's police or whatever like no this is about combating extremism that leads to nothing but death and violence yeah, yeah. we're not talking we're, about thought crimes right yeah we're, we're not talking about thought crimes we're talking about sex of people that target the most vulnerable of our society the people that don't have the same voice the people that already suffer from police brutality, suffer from economic inequality, suffer from systemic racism, just period. And people like Richard Spencer, the David Dukes of the world, they deserve to be called out. They just do. And it should not be tolerated. It should be greeted with jeers when they, when they speak places. Or try to speak places. Luckily, I don't think that Richard Spencer is doing the college circuit so much these days. But it's one of those things. It's like they they will come back. They're not going anywhere. They might get quiet. They might go lick their wounds. But they're never going anywhere. And it's up to people to be vigilant to make sure that they are called out on it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's always going to be a work in progress, but... um. Yeah, yeah, it's not going... It's, it, you know, this is a long... And it, it's always going to be a battle because there's always going to be somebody that doesn't want somebody because they're different from them. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. so... Well, I there guess... were a couple of other, you know, shootings we were had on the list but i think we kind of covered that point i feel like yeah yeah uh, i say want to move on to the white house we move on to the white house uh, <laughs> hmm. i don't know how it gets like we as you know we are clearly on track to 
reopen the country to send everybody back to work. And COVID has found its way like to the White House in a big way lately. Um, the news this week is, or the last seven to 10 days, is 34 Secret Service agents, Trump's personal valet, Ivanka's assistant, and Pence's press secretary have all tested positive for COVID-19. Head of the CDC, Robert Redfield, and Anthony Fauci have gone into quarantine because of how much they've been exposed to these individuals that have tested positive. And this is, this comes after, you know, our vice president, Mike Pence, has walked around everywhere without a mask. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that Trump is uh, finally concerned. According to The Guardian, Trump is spooked by White House cases as the death toll continues to climb nationally. So despite being spooked, despite all these people in Trump's vicinity testing positive for a virus that's clearly not going to go anywhere for a little bit, we are still gung-ho on opening up the economy. We're talking about a building that has so many protocols as is even before covid and we want you to go to tattoo parlors hair salons nail salons we want you to go to olive garden because we got to power that economy i'm just like these what are we thinking like how how do we do it like how do we justify it like especially like how does justify so much going on around him of people testing positive. You know, and there's no telling exactly what he's thinking. I did see in another story somewhere that Trump was only testing um, weekly for the virus, but now that all of this has happened with Pence and Fauci and all this, um, he's being tested daily. And I'm sure at the end of the day, that's all he cares about because he's only been in the White House game for himself and his family business that he's going to, that he's still probably everything cut out. I was talking about how Trump uh, is now getting tested, you know, daily instead of weekly. Um, Because at the end of the day, you know, he's only really concerned about himself and his own well-being and how much profit he can siphon from the the taxpayer through government contracts with his uh you know family businesses so you know for him none of these stats matter as long as he's personally protected um <laughs> he's just going to keep giving the orders and siding with governors who are going to reopen their economies at our expense um doesn't matter <laughs> No, I know. No, it doesn't matter. Uh, and it's because it's like he's tied so much to, of his presidency to the economy, and he knows that the people with capital want this, and they are the people that will vote for him. Mm-hmm. They are the people that will donate to him. Donate to his packs. That reminds me. They are the sorry. Yeah, I it, saw a story. Yeah. Um, it was about the 
the state aid allocation from uh, that the funding uh, that the CARES to I butchered that sentence, but the uh, the CARES Act that passed that gave money to states. Mm-hmm. A report showed that the states that most supported Trump in the 2016 election, especially swing states, um, got a higher percentage. Um, oh, imagine yeah, that! Got a higher percentage of the, of the cut compared to states like New York. Um, gosh, and these were some of the lowest populated states in you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, everyone needs help, but I think the numbers were something like in I don't know Alaska or Wyoming. It was somewhere between an average of two to three million dollars per COVID case compared to like mm-hmm. New York and California that got around 24 to 27,000 per case. Um, totally not yeah. selection bias or anything. Yeah, not selection bias. And I mean, God bless Wyoming, but there's like, there's not a lot of people in Wyoming. Right. And everybody needs help. But giving an entire state, its population is much lower compared to New York or California, especially New York, where it's still the epicenter of the outbreak in America. I mean, you look on any kind of COVID tracker, a lot of them have just a category for New York alone Mm -hmm. to talk about their cases. And it just shows how corrupt and spiteful our commander-in-chief is. That he is willing to give money to states that supported him just as a middle finger to New York that needs help more than probably most of the country. And it's it's just an act of spite to him. And he probably doesn't like that everybody is finally starting to, like, especially in the Northeast, that's like New York and Boston. They don't support him. They don't care about Trump. They they, they want him gone. People of Wyoming, the, the five people that are there, probably they're going to vote for him. Um, but... Yeah, it's 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 spite. It, that's what it is. Is anytime he does anything, it's it's out of spite. It is out of spite, and and now they're doing you know the same old conservative tactic of blaming the things that they do onto the Democrats because now they're oh yeah, it's 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 a game of projection. It it's always been a game of projection. If they're doing it with uh, the next act where or the next stimulus bill where the Democrats are you know talking about this huge state fund uh, funding or state aid funding mm-hmm. and the Republicans are calling out the Democrats saying oh well you're giving a disproportional amount to your states your liberal states uh, well, that's super partisan and just completely ignoring mm-hmm. what they just did they do it all the time mm-hmm. but you know it's just another example mm-hmm. well the, the thing that I've learned just watching politics as long as I have is how good the Republicans are at, at projecting 
but not only projecting, but always controlling the narrative. And then when they start losing the control of that narrative, they spin it into something else. Oh, yeah. They've been masters at it, and they did it they did, so yeah. well during the impeachment trial as well. It changed. The oh, yeah. narrative changed on, like, a weekly basis. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I covered it in my workplace, like, nonstop, like a hawk. I saw every single shift mm-hmm. in the narrative, and they just don't care. They don't care about consistency. No. Um, <laughs> no, they don't care con- about consistency. And... That's the issue, is that Democrats try to work how try to work with them still, and I understand that we should be bipartisan. We should reach across the aisle, but they don't want to work with the Democrats. No, they don't, and it, it's been and it's been that way for. Such a long time, at least in my time of being politically aware, that there is no bipartisanship with them anymore. On very rare occasion, but when it comes to big issues, everything is going to be a battle. Mm-hmm. And every time I hear a Democrat, a Democratic politician be like, I can reach across the aisle. I'm like, uh, good luck with that without coming away with your hand missing. Exactly. Because they are, they, they don't want to work with you. They want to do whatever they can to undermine you. And their base wants to, wants to just to destroy you. That's where the Republican Party is now. And... I don't know how you fix that other than just vote as many of them out as office. Because even the good ones, even the supposed good ones, the ones that are supposed to be reasonable like Susan Collins, still vote a majority of the time with the rest of their party. Yeah. Because by the time you're that and, high up in the Republican Party, you, you have, you're so bought out by corporate donors that you have no choice. You can't do anything else, even if your moral convictions say otherwise. And this was demonstrated perfectly with the Alaskan senator. I forget her name. She has a uh, hard-to-pronounce last name. Murkowski. Yeah, um, you did it. <laughs> she... <laughs> Stated, she still voted no on the impeachment uh, articles, mm-hmm. but she stated that what Trump did was wrong. So yeah, it still voted yeah, no. It's you know you, these people, at least Democrats sometimes vote with their con- uh, convictions, although they're easily just as bought out. Um, well, no, Republicans are way more bought out. Um, but yeah, there, there's just no reaching the Republicans once you're that high up as an official. You just have to vote them out. There's no other option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just have to vote them out. That you cannot hold out hope that they are going to become reasonable overnight. Especially, it's just like when, when even Barack Obama, for all his faults, like the first 
night that he was inaugurated, Mitch McConnell said, we are going to do everything in our power to make him a one-term president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, clearly, there was never going to be any kind of bipartisanship with Mitch McConnell. Yeah, there's no way. And, I mean, yeah, there's no way. You, the only way you can do is just to get them out of power. And, and to get good progressive Democrats in there because a lot of Democrats are susceptible to that same corporate money the Republicans are. And we need to we need to be vigilant of that as well. And while I agree that like we should focus on getting back Congress, retaining the House and getting back the Senate, because at least there can be some semblance if we can get rid of Mitch McConnell. That would be amazing. And I'm, 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 unfortunately, I'm very cynical about getting rid of Mitch McConnell because even w- during his last re-election, he was viewed super unfavorably by Kentuckians. Like, super unfavorably. But he still wobbed his opponent by 15 points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, it, yeah, it's just like, it's, go- it's going to be a battle. And it's, it's going to be a long battle. It is, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, like you just mentioned with the public opinion polling, like, you can't let that think that, you know, just because a Republican or a conservative voter doesn't like the person that they're voting for so much, that doesn't mean they're going to vote Democrat. Um, they're just not. No, absolutely not. I mean, farmers, absolutely not. You, yeah. Yeah, like, all you have to say is Donald Trump is nobody thought he could win. Um, The silent Trump voter is real. They're absolutely real. There are people that would be like, no, I'll never vote for Trump. And then the minute they're in that booth and they are in privacy, secret, they don't have to tell anybody, they will hit that button for Trump. And And that's part of... Part of the concern I have for this upcoming November is like, yes, Trump is mishandling so many things and he is so corrupt. But there are people that will tell you that they do not like him. They will answer the pollsters and be like, oh, absolutely. I would never vote for that man. He is a uh, crude, loud, and he's a bully. But the minute they're in that voting booth, they see R&D and they're going to be like, I'm going to vote for they are. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that, that's, just, that's just the way it is. So I'm just don't rely on polls for any kind of race. You just got to show up and vote. Yep. Yep. Voter turnout is no. what matters at the end of the day. So. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I guess moving on to the um, pandemic documentary (laughs) (laughs) oh yes Uh, such a big bag of worms so so I guess I haven't Yeah. I don't know I didn't really know about this person too much I kind of went into this documentary a little bit blind um, and it was 
hilarious. It um, just even on the surface level glance, it was nothing more than the same kind of conservative grifting documentary that I had seen a million times before. Um, the creepy line is one that comes to mind um, in recent years with Jordan Peterson talking about internet censorship and all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, th- so you know, these kinds of documentaries don't care about factual accuracy. Um, at all and it's especially dangerous when we're talking about uh, vaccines and other medical issues um so mickey willis right i guess you can you can take mm-hmm. this away because you're a little bit more mickey with t- mickey with two k's with, with, mickey with, with two, two k's, k's willis who somehow managed to misspell filmmaker in his own film like surely somebody when editing this somebody should have been like hey dude you realize you like you're missing an m in filmmaker right but no 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 clearly nobody saw it because i'm guessing he edited it himself but mickey willis is uh the person that produced this and he is the narrator the person interviewing he has a production company called elevate films uh on youtube it's basically him just filming videos of his family he is a former model and an actor i looked up his imdb page there's nothing he's been in that i've ever watched so i can't attest to his uh, actual acting skills uh but i i gotta say he had a sick goatee he had a sick goatee um so in this movie or documentary and this is just only a clip this is only a clip of Plandemic. They are planning on a full release, a much longer movie. And if it's anything like the 28 minutes I saw, we are in for a deuce. Oh, no, I thought that was the whole thing. No, (laughs) no, it's not the whole thing. It's not the whole thing. It's only part. I'm sure we're going to get into uh, all sorts of bag of worms, but... The basically what we saw was the 28 minute interview with Dr. Judy Mikovits. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but Judy Mikovits is an adamant anti-vaxxer. She can claim that she's not an, an anti-vaxxer all she wants, but her entire narrative is that she was robbed of her constitutional rights that she was framed for stealing research and that Dr. Fauci and other people in the CDC and people that are currently doing their damnedest to fight the uh, fight coronavirus in our country are all corrupt shills who are in this for the money. Yeah. And yeah. It's it, like I'll let you talk about the 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 vaccine thing because it's just like basically her entire idea is the flu vaccine has made people more vulnerable to COVID. I don't know where that logic is, but hey, go for yeah. it. Also, uh, to add on to that, her book, whatever it was called, had a foreword by another doctor who is actually an anti-vax um, advocate and. <laughs> Right. So if if her 
she can say she's not an anti-vaxxer, but if her book has a foreword by an anti-vaxxer, like a well-known one, I forget his name. Um, you know, again, consistency doesn't matter to these people. Um, about the vaccine, there was the yeah, there was a claim that the the flu vaccine increases the likelihood that someone or that that person would. Um, be more susceptible to catching the coronavirus. And this comes from a single study from that was conducted among Department of Defense personnel. And here's the name of the study if you want to, or the title of it, if you want to search it on your own for those listening. It's called Influenza Vaccination and Respiratory Virus Interference Among Department of Defense Personnel during the 2017 to 2018 influenza season. And the idea of the study was to determine, try to determine if there was virus interference, basically any kind of interference between vaccines and, um, you know, the, the possibility of catching other viruses, because sometimes that happens. And even in the study itself, in the conclusion section, it said, where was it? Examining virus interference by specific respiratory viruses showed mixed results. Um, now, there was a, you know, of course, a study has graphs and data and whatever. There was a single data point that these people pointed to saying there was a 36% chance increase of, um, of people who had the flu vaccination um, who already had their influenza shots because the people who they were studying, and this is a, a large sample size, larger than normal, um, but it's from the Department of Defense. They're going to have their flu vaccinations. They're going to be tested for other things too. So there is the possibility that they were already going to be tested anyways. That could also, that could explain the increase of um, coronavirus cases among this control group or the study group. Now, there was an analysis, a fact check by uh, USA Today that essentially they went to other doctors and experts and they basically said, uh, they're, let, let me see, what, what did they say? Number one, the coronavirus is not in the flu shot, which is one of the conspiracies going around that um, you're just going to get, you know, you're going to get the the virus because it's already in the vaccine but even the susceptibility um other experts have said and even the kind of the research suggested that this doesn't necessarily prove that there is a direct connection between the flu vaccine and catching coronavirus um and this is this one single data point this 36 percent so if you see the 36 percent headline floating around this is where it came from this study this is what these people do. They will dig in through a very complicated study, look for one specific number or a couple of graphs or whatever, and say, aha, this proves my point. This is what I've been saying all along. And they completely ignore the amount of scientific rigor that goes into data analysis. And I, I don't even know the specific terminology. There are entire college courses devoted to examining data, statistical data, research data, ensuring that your your variables and your data collection methods are sound. 
these conspiracy theorists don't take any of that into account. They just look for a single number and say, that's it. That proves my point. And I'm going to make a fucking documentary about it. It's insane. This is anti-intellectualism for the same people who claim to listen to all sides of things, to be open-minded, to search for the truth, but they don't abide by the scientific um, methods that that we have to rely on if we're going to try to describe the world like this. They don't care about it. They just care about confirming their own <laughs> beliefs and narratives. Yeah, it's about confirming their own narratives. That's all it is. Um, I'm looking at her website, and it looks like it was designed in 2002. Oh, no. They can't even get a proper web oh, developer. Oh, yes. Nice. Yeah, they can't even get a proper web developer. I'm sending it to you. I mean, at the very you gotta least. you got to see it. It's, it's fucking fucking amazing the very least you could like try to use uh squarespace or something right do it yourself yeah squarespace wix man wix <laughs> oh, um, wow. i mean this just just look like a reskinned it, 2002 website yeah it does it looks like a reskinned 2002 website yeah um and the the website so, is if anyone wants to look it up it's plaguethebook.com yeah and it's funny, she has another book out called Plague of Corruption. Called what? Her regurgitating. Uh, Plague of Corruption it is her next book. It has not been released yet. Funny how she's uh, working with an actor slash model on a, on a documentary talking about corruption. And she has a book coming out called Plague of Corruption. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's see. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the person yeah. the forward who is an anti-vaxxer. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's what led me on this uh, rabbit hole was I was trying to find who wrote that forward. Mm -hmm. And I, I stumbled upon him. Let's see. Oh, my God. What are readers saying about this book? Hmm. Judy... Yeah, Judy Mikovits are the, and Ken Heckenlively, I probably butchered that name, are the new dynamic duo in fighting corruption in science. <laughs> ben Garrison, America's number one political satirist. Oh. Ben Garrison, yes, the person that makes, who draws those cringe right wing illustrations every day nice that's who they got to <laughs> to pimp their book out for them that's a hell of an endorsement right there that's a that is one hell of an endorsement and let's see this book is a jaw-dropping excursion through the lies of big money big government big pharma god bless dr mikovitz for her courage in sharing this story max swafford author and educator god bless i'm kind of curious i'm not really finding much on him this is gonna be this is gonna be one of the we might have to do like a little follow-up about this 
Um, because it's just so ridiculous. Oh, once the whole thing comes out, we will, we will just we we will we will have to endure. We will have to watch it for everyone, yeah. and just rip on it again. Because it's as I said, it's going to be a doozy. If we if those twenty eight minutes were a sign of what's to come, we are in for a crazy. Yep. <laughs> it's, yep, it'll be interesting to say the least oh yeah oh god all right well now it's time for the main topic and it almost feels like we've been covering the main topic already <laughs> yeah and we've been covering the main topic already stuff but it's time for i know she is everybody's yeah it's time for her it's uh she is uh Every it, she is the person that when you are a teenager, you read and you're like, "Oh, this makes a lot of sense." You're like, and you you come out. Some people come out libertarians, but luckily most of us grow out of it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, for those that do not, uh, they become kind of a plague on our society. Um, yeah, just a little bit, but. And just a little and I, bit. Uh, we've talked about Ayn Rand a lot before um, over the years. Oh, yeah. We were very oh, yeah. heavily influenced by her. and um, Very much. Very much so. Uh, I, like, remember as a teenager, because I have a, very, I have a very conservative father who loves Ayn Rand to this day. And I, what, I was gifted Atlas Shrugged. Uh, as a teenager, and I read it, and at the time, I was just like, oh, a lot of the, philosophically, a lot of it made sense, and I, I think I liked it, because just there was sex in it, because I was a teenager, but hey, um, but, you know, I took that away, even, even probably late teenage years, and maybe early 20s, there were still a lot of things in there that I, that, you know, I liked, and like, thought was like philosophically were good ideas and then as i got older i was just like no all this does is advocate being a selfish dick yeah that's all it calls and it's just like the day. yeah yeah and it's just like uh, like all you have to know about this you haven't read books it's just some for quotes is selfishness does not mean only to do things for oneself. One may do things affecting others for his own pleasure and benefit. This is not immoral, but the highest of morality. So it's just like when you relate to the, that to capitalism, I, that I'm pretty sure the message was, it's just like be a selfish dick and hoard money and create, and create a product that, you know, sells lots of money, but will benefit society. But at the end of the day, you're not doing anything to better society, you're doing it for yourself and just hoping that, you know, society might find it useful and it might help society. But at the end of the day, it's about your own ego. It's about your own profit margins. It's about that. And it's just like you see that so much today with capitalism of just like how many, like the billionaires that we have in this country that keep on getting richer like today the big thing that came out was jeff bezos is going to be the world's first trillionaire Damn. and what what do you do with trillions of dollars 
That's more than the that's that's more than a lot of people a lot of countries GDP. Yeah. Right. And it's um I guess apparently you buy three yachts. I don't know how many he has at this point. You yeah. Have buy fucking Mars at this point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I think I don't know. Who knows what's going through Ayn Rand's head when she wrote all this? She has this super romantic uh, romanticization of all of her ideas and everything. So it was just this maybe the sinister element of it never really crossed her mind too much, at least not consciously, anyways. Um, and it was just like, oh, yes, by the, the, the titans of industry will save us all because they know what's best for themselves. And by virtue of that and their greatness, What's good for them is going to be good for us. You'll benefit by proxy. Yeah. yeah. You'll benefit. You'll benefit from it because Titans are smarter than the worker, the average person, and you will benefit from that. While, you know, I can understand, like, 15-year-old me could be like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, the the in, that the smartest person that creates the best product or best whatever helps society, but he's thriving. And because he's thriving, we're all thriving. Well, you know, you look at it today and it's like, as I said, like Jeff Bezos is standing to be the first trillionaire of our world. And there are people in our own country that are starving. There's record high unemployment there is already a huge disparity between what you would call the lower and middle classes and the wealthy. The disparity is huge, and it's only grown wider the last couple, the, the last, you know, since Reagan. Yeah, um, it really has. And it's Yeah. Worked. And so it's like this virtue thing of just like we're all benefiting if the titans of industry are thriving well. Well, that's not really the case. We're, we have a handful of rich people in this world. And during the COVID outbreak, one in five children are suffering from food insecurity. How is that fucking thriving? Right. Yeah, and it's um sometimes I wonder if she would have written something different if um she actually saw the practical implementation and the consequences of uh capitalism, uh, unregulated capitalism on a long enough time scale and but even mm -hmm. if she did, um this gets into the next quote, I don't think anything would have changed because she was ultimately a an extreme reactionary against Russia, where mm -hmm. she grew up in, and then eventually moved out when she was like a teenager or something. And it's, uh, you know, this other quote, every major horror of history was committed in the name of an altruistic motive. Has any act of selfishness ever equaled the carnage perpetuated by disciplines of altruism? And so it's, you know, well, you can't, give away anything because we've already defined that 
overbearing selfishness is what's best for everyone so charity Mm -hmm. it's morally reprehensible you can't do it um even and so you just have to take if that if you adopt that mindset you have to just turn a blind eye towards suffering and pretend that the same thing's never going to happen to you and if it does Mm-hmm. then it was justified and you just need to work harder and put your nose to the grindstone even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, in, uh, you, like, in her world, I can see her, you know, believing that that would be true. But as you said, like, would that stance still stand today i think it would in her mind because if you just the quote alone on people's motive like still advocating selfishness and i understand that you know she grew up in russia and saw saw what she considered to be ultimate evil and that shaped her mind into being just a a selfish prick (laughs) um (laughs) but it's you know, not, like, what would she say about the Jeff Bezos of the world? Just love them. (laughs) But She'd try to be his best friend, honestly. Oh, yeah, she'd try to be a best friend and try to get, uh, try to get that money for the, uh, the Rand Institute so Mm -hmm. they could have another circle jerk over her. Um, but... It's, you know, it's toxic. At the end of the day, it's, it's toxic. It's, uh, it, 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 you see it so much. It, it, I think it's helped fester this entire attitude of, well, I got mine, so fuck you. That we encounter so much today, especially with like our, our parents and our grandparents. Absolutely. And they're just like, I had to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I blah, blah, blah. Uh, you can do it. I'm just like, okay, well, things were much cheaper for you. And you and your your dollar went a lot further than, say, mine does. Yeah, you could support because that's just a, on a single you know job. Yeah. Decades ago. Yeah, you could support. A, yeah. And your college costs like 60% less than my college did. And it's all well and good to say that, but this entire attitude of selfishness, of just being like, well, I'm not worried about the next generation because my generation did just fine. It's just like, I feel like there are some, there are some of like a diet of Fox News and Ayn Rand helps create that, that attitude. Yeah, it creates it and it, serves to um to foster it and perpetuate it mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. continued justification to be as selfish as possible because that's a virtue um and mm-hmm. this kind of gets into the some of the couple of the philosophical under underpinnings of objectivism as she describes her philosophy it's when you really dig down and scrutinize it it's it's just armchair philosophy. It's overly romanticized mm-hmm. armchair philosophy. 
none of the and she tries to go through the motions of philosophical rigor to try to ground her axioms and whatever um but she doesn't properly do that because she doesn't understand like her big thing you know is a equals a <clears throat> like that's the law of identity it doesn't say anything it says a thing is going to be equal to itself and that is it. But then she tries to extrapolate upon that and says, therefore, it can be nothing else, and whatever it is, is right. And now here's how I'm going to define what is right. And that right is selfishness. And then that just is at the core of everything else that she talks about. Um, and so libertarian free will is one of the things that has to happen if you're going to justify extreme selfishness on that level. Um, and there's the problem with, li and libertarian free will, it didn't, the libertarian isn't stemming from a political movement, it's like a philosophical term, but essentially it's 100% free will. And that leaves absolutely no room to meaningfully talk about any sort of environmental factors that go into affecting a person's life and their upbringing and what they're doing right now. Um, you know, like intergenerational wealth is something that conservatives take for granted, but to, to someone who doesn't come from a rich family, especially African-Americans mm -hmm. because of the legacy of slavery, they don't have the benefit mm -hmm. of intergenerational wealth, but society treats them as if they should and or they do and that's toxic yeah it, it, yeah it, 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 what you said is extremely toxic it's just like again it's just like it's like that meme of just like i don't understand is this peasant talk because i'm too rich to understand it, that's what libertarian free will is is yeah, so many people have the power to do that, but we also it completely ignores what you said—the environmental factors. Like, ooh, did that person not have good health care when they were a child? Um, did they have to quit school early to support their family? All this—it's just like there is so, especially with income inequality being so bad. You know, libertarian free will kind of goes out the door to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, and it should, and, but it's still around um, because... Yeah, and it's still around. It's still advocated by her, her fans. Yeah, and, um, and it's, it's well beyond her fans, too. It's just like, it's really a huge part of American culture, whether, uh, you know, it yeah. doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative. Um, <laughs> it, there's just an overemphasis on free will and what it means to make a decision um mm -hmm. and i'm not saying you know it, it, we can get into free will this is like a whole other thing but you know you can't take either free will or determinism to an extreme because it either on one hand with determinism everything is ultimately meaningless therefore there is no moral uh judgment we can make but on free will every thing is a moral decision um to like a, a just an extreme degree um 
it, it just causes, you know, other problems like we just kind of talked about. And, um, but it's, it's one of the things that's required to kind of justify her philosophy. And mm-hmm. whew, this is the, the last oh, no. <laughs> philosophical thing that I've got to rant about. Um, this is, this is going to sound a little hyperbolic to start with, but this is one of the core kind of mindsets of fascist ideology is that we need, is that the fundamental idea that just some people are just better than others. And that's just how it is. And okay, maybe we can say that, but then they want to assign, well, but that's a good thing. People, some people should be better than others. And it is their right and their destiny to control everyone else because of whatever superiority qualities they have. Um, but this idea of the Superman kind of came from Nietzsche uh, with the, the Ubermensch or whatever. Uh, I forget how to say it. And um, essentially, it just serves to establish and justify hierarchies. And there is a quote in Atlas Shrugged, which is her, for anyone who doesn't, isn't intimately aware of Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged is her, uh, you know, crown jewel achievement, pinnacle of work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she goes off on a, I don't know, like a hundred page like rant where she just vomits every single one of her beliefs uh, through the lens of like one of the main characters. Uh, and this is, I think, the most abhorrent quote of of everything that she's ever said. And it goes, the man at the top of the intellectual pyramid contributes the most to all those below him but gets nothing except his material payment, receiving no intellectual bonus from others to add to the value of his time. The man at the bottom, who, left to himself, would starve in his hopeless ineptitude, contributes nothing to those above him, but receives the bonus of all their brains. This is like all but justifying a sort of intellectual caste system. And this is, not only is this like a, already like a, I'll get to that in a second, but this is a huge justification with big businesses, um, how they operate, right? You know, like we were just saying, we need Jeff Bezos to survive because he's so awesome. But we're seeing it with um, our administration as well. It, this strongman kind of justification with uh, Attorney General William Barr stepping more and more into um, some some lawsuits, especially church and state lawsuits with uh, you know churchgoers trying to practice and congregate during the middle of COVID-19, and Barr is stepping in to defend them. Uh, and they're, they're, and also with the Flynn investigation, um, with uh, you know the the DOJ wants to absolve Flynn of the charges pressed against him because of the circumstances, and it's just this justifies and paves the way for further top-down intervention, which is a, a you know this is paving the road towards higher uh, towards um, fascism, and. This concept is this is not an over exaggeration or misinterpretation. 
this idea is baked straight into one of the main characters of the book. And just an overview of what the book is about, it's about Dagny Taggart and a couple of other titans of industry doing their thing, but it focuses mostly on Dagny and her railroad business, and then it kind of, you know, what they do. And as they watch society collapse, because of the hopeless ineptitude of the dum-dums, <laughs> um, they, these people exit society and start their own little utopia in the middle of the, the, the mountain range somewhere, and they just literally let society burn and kill themselves because they're so they can't do anything for themselves. And one of the characters is Dagny's assistant. I forget his name. They start like start Walter or something, whatever. It doesn't matter. And he it's it's constantly stressed throughout the entire book that this guy who is like basically second in command and also capable of running the railroad business, although maybe not as efficiently, but he has he actually did it a couple times in Dagny's absence, whenever she went on some excursion. He's just not as smart as these other people, and this gets hammered home time and time again until the point where society ultimately collapses and these titans of industry are trying to pick and choose whoever has the best genes or brains or whatever and who deserves to be saved, literally saved, um, and then who else needs to die. And this this guy, Walter, whatever his name is, is one of the ones that Dagny just tells straight to his face, you can't come with us because you're not smart enough. And his reaction wasn't like disgust or anything. It was complete acceptance. Like, yes, I accept your decision. I recognize that you're correct. I'm not good enough for you. So I'm going to do what I can to try to save the world and go on without me. This like this romanticized hero of like, oh, this person knows their place. Isn't this wonderful? This is straight up like a, a fascist wet dream. It's insanity. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's just like yeah. this quote, oh. you know when you dig into it like this, it's abhorrent. And this is really the core of what she's either subconsciously or consciously advocating for is this ultimate top-down mm -hmm. hierarchy to control society. And But she thinks it's under the guise of libertarian free will and selfishness, but really it's just an oppressive authoritarian biological prescriptive uh, lens in which to control everything. It's It's insane. Yeah, it's 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 not. They think that's <laughs> that's terrifying, and you know, you see that you you see that leading society, um, and she's influenced so many people in the business world and in our political world, and. All you have to do just to recognize the selfishness and the destructiveness of it, just to look at the names like Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, who is not named after her, despite people's believing so. Uh, he claims he cut his teeth on her books in high school. Uh, then he went on to follow that up, becoming a politician much later where he blocked the 9-11 victim funding 
and wanted to gut 83% of the Department of Education. And this is just in his first couple of years as a senator. And it's just like, once again, it's just like, you look at that wanting to gut education. It's what you were talking about out there. Well, how are people supposed to be smart enough if they can't get educated? But in Ayn Rand's world, it's just like, you're just born with it because you are, you're a Titan, a Superman. You're, you are just better. Mm-hmm. Once again, not accounting for environmental factors. Um, another one is Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. He said Atlas Shrug was his foundational book. Uh, he was recently in the news for for COVID for voting against the Families First Corona Response Act and giving this lovely, lovely humanitarian quote of, we don't shut down our economy thousand people die on the highways it's a risk we accept so we can move about who's accepting that like i don't accept ten thousand people dying on a highway yeah it's uh they want to paint it as like you know accepting this as a fact of life but then also yeah the subtext is well the fact of life is a good thing because business as usual is mm-hmm. good for me. Yeah, and it's uh it's just it's just so callous. It's like I wouldn't say that to people. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. um, um they might try to justify it as like, oh, it's just a different value system. It, it's just that's a weaselly way of saying, like, you don't care about anyone but you and your family. Everyone else. Yeah, you and those around you. Can go fuck off your and peers. die because you don't care about humanity yeah. at all. That's not one of your values. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not the values. And it's just like, these are just Republicans that are currently, you know, around like paul ryan was apparently a big rand fan uh clarence thompson gets his law clerks to watch the fountainhead when they begin to work for him uh mike pompeo and rex tillerson claim to be influenced by ayn rand even trump said he loved the fountainhead i'm not sure if he ever read the fountainhead or somebody just gave him a synopsis of it but whatever even he does and if you look at all these names especially politically they're people that you know advocate destructive behaviors uh that that don't care what people like you and i think that that cannot relate to that one of the people that could possibly die on the highway that we just accept as just a fact of life of just like, well, that's just how this works. It's like, there's such selfishness and it's just, it, 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 it's in the business world too. Uh, Peter Thiel, you may know him as a person that helped was one of the first seed starters for Facebook. 
Uh, you may also know him as the person that sued Gawker into oblivion, putting them out of business, uh, despite people saying it was a sold on freedom of press. Um, he's also a person that believes that he thinks, well, he thinks women voting helped ruin our democracy by saying since 1920, the vast increase in welfare beneficiaries and the extension of the franchise to women, two constituencies that are notoriously tough for libertarians, have rendered the notion of capitalist democracy into an oxymoron. Um, no, it ruined what he thinks democracy is. And notice that it says capital democracy because Peter Thiel is a hard is a hardcore capitalist. He's benefited greatly off of Silicon Valley. He also has said, I've been still trying to find a place to attribute the quote, but he believes in the Superman thing. He believes that we should, people like you and me, we should just be happy that people like him exist and that the gifts he gives us, whether by investing in technology, by seed money by doing all this that we should be grateful that we should grovel because we benefit from his selfishness and his reactionary that he thinks he's better than us that he thinks that people in the valley should rule over us because they can make better decisions than us and it's it's like once again libertarian free will all that i'm just like no you are talking about a hierarchy of people that you just label as having the big brains or having the to hoard this amount of money where they can exert control over us. And, and that's terrifying to me. Yeah. And there's a, a huge element of ego to that as well. It's um, the way in which they kind of present these arguments and their ideas and their values is almost like they they're trying to sell us on the idea that we need to worship them because they want to be worshipped almost like a god and it's you can't you know trump is already extremely narcissistic and egotistical and vain um he's probably the most easy example to look at but just because a lot of these other businessmen or senators or politicians or judges, just because they don't have the same air of arrogance and um, vanity that Trump does, doesn't mean that they don't all share similar motives and desires. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, oh. yeah, it's just this this corruption of, you know... Of a of a philosophy, really, and the a lot of these people who, uh, kind of on a side note, who kind of subscribe to this and push Ayn Rand in particular are big um, Tea Party people. Um, in fact, didn't Yaron Brook, the head of the Ayn Rand Institute, didn't he talk at the Tea Party rallies like a couple times, like years ago when it was forming? Oh yes, he did. It's totally yeah. And it's just, um, <laughs> I don't know. The Ayn Rand Institute is um, interesting, to say the least. Uh, I remember digging through. I actually found Ayn Rand with their, because it was the largest scholarship uh, contest 
um because i was in college at the time and i was trying to look for scholarship money because i didn't want to take out student loans so uh the, i think it's always been you know there's a essay contest on atlas shrugged in first place is like ten thousand bucks or something i was like hell yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna win this <laughs> so i read the book and then you know whatever went from there but i looked into the the modern uh manifestation of ayn rand and her her legacy and her wealth and whatever and they're not even like really they, they they pretend to pay homage to all of her ideas but they don't really they're just incorporating no. themselves into the republican party at large um yeah yeah and because it's like i positive that she was she was not just an atheist but she did not like religion inserting itself into our politics Oh yeah. She did not like Ronald Reagan because of how much he brought religion into politics. She was she was pro-choice. Um and she was very anti-religious and it's just like, you know, you have Brooks speaking at tea party things, being a keynote speaker and the tea parties like the the demographic of the tea party is extremely religious. And so it's just like, there's goes one of her biggest tenets right there. Of it's like, you don't need a God because you're va- because you can create the, you can create utopia on your own. If you're drive for profit. Mm-hmm. Cause money in capitalism was Rand's God. Yeah. And she had, she, she did, she saw no use in having a, God, such as traditional Christianity, as and it's just like it's it's weird to see so many people quote her works, and you know, and them being deeper deeply religious themselves. It's just like their two favorite books seem to be the Bible and Atlas Shrug, and I'm just like they're not compatible. They're not at all. Um, um, yeah, despised religion like hardcore. Yeah, it's this despised hardcore despised. Yes, and it's just like you know what the hell am like but you know what you would think that she is uh i'm here okay i think you cut out no you're talking about her lecturing about something yeah yeah i was uh, i was i was saying it's just like science you see her be kind of anti-science uh Physicists like Einstein. <laughs> oh God, yeah. The um, oh Jesus. So this was what one of the things I found <laughs> when I looked into the Ayn Rand Institute, and they have like a collection of videos from past, you know, previous lectures that they either gave or they endorsed for whatever reason. And listen, I've been a science nerd all my life, um, and I have really looked into theoretical physics as well. I can't do the math, but I have a better understanding about it than the, than the layman. I'm very confident in saying that. And there was this one, this was one of the big red flags that uh, really got me suspicious about um, objectivism as a whole. There was a lecture, I forget who it was by, doesn't matter. His premise was that 
Einstein and other quantum mechanic uh, physicists were fundamentally wrong because they were essentially socialists. Um, they believed in collectivist ideologies, and that political uh, impurity uh, of you know the altruistic motive fundamentally distorted their perception of the world to such an extent that they can't do science properly and that we should just mm -hmm. go back to newton because while there were a couple things that newton didn't figure out apparently that was you know classical mechanics uh is what we should go by and it's kind of like like wait you actually don't understand physics at all like einstein was more accurate with this description of gravity than newton was and it's proven to be so and quantum mechanics is literally the most scientifically tested and verified theory humanity has ever come up with and its predictions yeah. as now we can we can speculate all day long about why quantum mechanics happens all the weirdness and unintuitiveness that comes with we can talk about why we can have a conversation about that but we cannot dispute the fact that it does happen and that we can describe mm -hmm. what happens as weird as it is. Mm -hmm. And it's just yeah. another way for conservative or just politicians in general to grift. Um, they're using science as another tool to push their agenda. Um, it's ridiculous. And, you know, Ayn Rand in science, it, I've always been kind of she's always been a little bit anti-intellectual uh, when it comes to science um the romantic manifesto is her work about she, where she just talks about art um and in one of the sections she talks about music um and this was i think the most interesting part of the book to me when i read it and she basically wanted to figure out so you know there's this moral in objectivism there's like the morality is objective and it's a real thing that can be tangibly applied to everything and so she applies that to art so she tries to do this with music but she didn't have enough raw data or information or whatever to determine how each note or chord or sequence of notes um impacts our emotional state and you know our 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 reaction to it she didn't have that raw scientific data and um apparently there was some philosopher like a hundred years before her who also asked a similar question and so her her where she left off was like well i just need more data to figure out to make a moral uh judgment on music um yeah, and it's like okay, it's inter It's one thing to know, like, to be interested in how music affects us from a very scientific level, but to to, to then put like a moral claim on that is you can't do that. You can't bridge the the is ought gap. Like, what happens in nature cannot be assigned a moral value because when you start doing that, weird shit happens really quick. Um, philosophers ran into this issue with. Um, oh, it was like the 16 or 1700s or something with, um, it was a wasp, a parasitic wasp that basically injects larva into its victims, uh, into its prey. And then the larva hatch from within so that they have something to eat when they, you know, 
when they're done maturing. Mm -hmm. And people struggled to find a a moral justification for this. Some were saying that, oh, it's just the mother wasp lovingly caring for her children. Others were saying it's a terrible act of evil, the most horrific way for an animal to die, and the wasp should be morally condemned for this. Like, it's nature. Like, there's no morality behind a lion eating a gazelle. It happens. And we cannot necessarily, you know, fundamentally draw a distinction or a moral connection between what happens in nature and then give that a moral value. That's something we probably can never do. But then she tries to do this all the time. And that's kind of seeped in to our culture as well. This moral mm -hmm. objectivism, um, which ironically enough plays into uh a lot of religion but which she also hated <laughs> so uh it's just <laughs> i don't know um and um yeah i had another bit here but i think the bottom line is that you know every <laughs> I don't even know how to say this because this last point is just like very rambly when I wrote it. It's very condensed and I don't really want to get into it right now. But essentially everything is useful. Every bit of information is useful, even if it's just verification of something you already know. Um, at least you have that. And it's the, the, the main premise behind science, the scientific method, is to come up with a hypothesis, and then try to disprove that. Because when yeah. you try to prove your hypothesis, well, then you'll accept any kind of evidence whatsoever to back up your assertions, regardless of how valid it is. And that's where we get into all this conspiracy stuff we've been kind of talking about this whole time. And these <laughs> crazy philosophical rabbit holes you can go down when you only look for validation and you don't try to be critical yes. of yourself yes and, and it's just like it, that right there is super important it's super important you know conspiracies uh political political ideology of just like why you need to research things question yourself question your biases question what you believe in is it right or is it just because you were taught that it was right and that's this word and you know you learn stuff is by learning new ideas new bits of knowledge and discovering new things about yourself or about the world that you didn't know before because you are not looking to continue validating your bias like your worldview, the thing that you already think you know, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And it's super, it's super important. It is. Because as I said, I read, I read Rand in my teenage years and I thought it was rad. I thought it made a lot of sense. And then when I got older, I was like, no, no, it's extremely selfish. It's extremely selfish. It has an air of superior, uh, being superior to everybody, which I don't like as a person that does not like hierarchies. The last thing I need and feel that we need 
is people like Peter Thiel controlling our country or the people like Rand Paul or Ron Johnson. They're so quick to accept casualties in the name of the free market. Incredibly destructive behavior. It's incredibly selfish. It is. And I think a lot of it has to do with her influence of her narrow outlook, no matter how enlightened she thought she was. Okay, yeah, I'll do, um, I guess, yeah, so I guess we can do uh, some closing statements, some plugs. Um, I, I guess I'll go last. Um, do you got anything? Uh, no, not not the moment. Just to, if you're listening to this, uh, spread the word. Give us a good rating on whatever podcast platform you're using. We are on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Podcasts. So give us a good ratings, and that helps people find the show and spread the word. Uh, you can also visit us at americanshakedown.com, and if you wish to contribute. And help us uh, continue doing this because we, we enjoy doing it. You can go to patreon.com slash American Shakedown and uh, subscribe to us and maybe fork over a dollar. Yep. Yeah. Any help is appreciated if you enjoy this. Um, yeah. We don't run advertisements. We're not doing sponsorships. Um, yeah. Fuck and, that. Uh, yeah. And so... Um, there was something else no ads no sponsors and uh oh yeah so we're just going to release everything for free uh that because freedom of yeah. information that's what we've got to do if we're gonna well progress as humanity really that freedom of information mm -hmm. is important De sort of decentralization of as many things as possible mm -hmm. exactly uh so no paywall yep and we we will continue doing this and we will be back next week. Indeed. All right. Thanks for tuning in and All right. move left. Cool.